G'day guys, welcome to Chewing the Fat with CB and JY. I am Chris Bryson. And I'm James Young. Chris, what's happening mate? How are you? I'm well, thanks mate. How are you? Good. I'm very good, thank you. It's, yeah. a, uh, it's actually a beautiful sunny Sunday as we record this and uh, you know, I'm uh, looking forward to getting out and about uh, within five kilometres from my home today, going for a walk or a trundle around the place. So. What are you getting up to this afternoon, mate? Mate, to be pretty honest, I felt pretty lousy all weekend. Getting a bit over this lockdown stuff, but dragged myself out of bed this morning and did a real slow 4K jog and feel a million dollars because of that, mate. So, a like bit it. of fresh air and, and sunshine. I like Does it. the world a good. And obviously, we implore everybody to get out and about as best as they can within the restrictions. Uh, and if you're listening in a different state, um, yeah, yeah, we don't, yeah, we don't really like you right now. So. <laughs> It's um different state or one of the seven seven. Yeah, well, I was going to say we've actually just we were going through this just before, mate. Morocco is looking like our third uh, largest target audience, so it's totally what we planned for. We when we first started this and when we uh when we decided to do the pod, we thought, well, if we can get a real reach in Africa, um, <laughs> well, you know, the sky's the limit. And we've now got uh, we've got two African countries, obviously Morocco, and the second one was that. Mauritania. Mauritania, yeah, which I've, I've never heard of. Um, I love the loyalty, though, of some of these listeners because these listeners in other countries have actually listened to every single episode. And we've yeah. got someone in Dallas, yeah. USA, who's listened to every single episode. So shout out to if you're our one yeah. listener in Dallas. Dallas. But do you know what I found out about America this week, Joe? What did you, you find out, CB? How many emus would you think would be alive or existing in the USA? Um, do you want me to actually guess? Yes. Okay, so let's go... 173,654. 173,000 emus? Yes. Oh my god. Well, we're clearly not on the same page here. <laughs> How many emus? Well, my guess was zero because it's an what? Australian native animal. Why would there be any emus in America? That was my guess. Well, because like animals have like completely like intermingled all across the globe now. Okay. So I assumed like there's probably been one emu and then emus bang each other and then there's suddenly like. 173,564 173, emails. You, you ruined yeah. my fun facts by not emails. You ruined my fun fact by not being on the same page because there's 13,000 emus in the USA. 13,000? Which is 13,000 more than I would have thought. That surprises me that there is less than what I thought. I actually thought I was going to be nowhere near Okay. Well, we busted that myth. Mate, there you go. There being 170,000 emus is only 13,000, which leads us on to our topic for today. JY, myth busting. Yeah. We're here to. Uh, bust out some myths. Um, we've uh, had a lot of uh, people um, ask us to do an episode like this, um, where we uh, take a few little bits and pieces in the industry, um, break them down and sort of uh, explain, or I guess we should say bust those myths. So CB, let's just quickly thank our sponsors first of all. Um, oh, are you, who have we got one? I thought you checked the, uh, the no, inbox. I thought you were the sponsorship department. No, I said I'm, I'm checking. I'm editing your sponsors. Okay, so right. this right, we'll, look, we'll leave it for next week. Um, just fanny of the sponsors who are in there waiting, just give us another little bit of time. Um, we're, we're, we're getting to you. If, um, <laughs> and if you do want to actually quickly slide in and sponsor us, well, there's still an opportunity because obviously I've just dropped the ball there and haven't bothered with the inboxes. So if you do want to quickly uh, quickly get in now, um, we joke about this every week. Crap. But in all seriousness, we would love to for some to jump on board, yep. chilling the fat. Yep. And obviously, like we would give you the most epic shout outs. Um, you you got nothing to lose. Get amongst it. 
you'd be global and training in eight countries. Well, you'd be huge in Morocco. Yeah. So if you yeah, if you're looking to break into the uh, the Moroccan market or the uh, Northern African market, which is where Morocco is, um, then yeah, you get amongst us. So love it, mate. And also, obviously, a huge thank you to our listeners um, and their feedback for the last uh, episode. We um, you know, we're really, really lucky, actually, really lucky. Um, not because people listen to us, but because people listen to us after you royally screwed up the timing of our previous episode. So if anyone doesn't know, Chris deleted the, uh, the entire podcast we'd record on nutrition and we had to redo it on uh, the Thursday night. And Chris asked me to pretend that that never happened and I just, I would not let that fly. This is now, the second time I'm bringing it up. I was just going to say this is the second time I'm bringing it up and I was just really excited for a great episode and you just brought me down, Joe White. It's alright, mate. I didn't, I didn't mean it, mate. It was a mate, mistake. start busting okay. some myths. Your mood's going to come right back up. And if it's not coming up, mate, hang on to this afternoon when the Bulldogs play and cement their place in the finals because, hey, that's going to bring the uh, entire mood of Victoria up. <laughs> okay. Now, we are a health and fitness podcast and the unfortunate reality of our industry is, Joe Wise, there is a shit ton of myths out there. There is so many myths when it comes to health and fitness and we could probably talk for about four hours about this. Um, but we're going to bust a couple of key ones each in both of our fields, um, which we think are really, really important um, for yeah, society to know a little bit more about. Yep. So I might start us off, mate. What do you reckon? Well, I'd, I'd absolutely love that. I think actually, first of all, why do you think our industry is uh, is riddled with so many myths? What, what is it about our, um, yeah, about our industries? Um, I think a couple of things. I think as far as the fitness industry specifically, it, it's so easy to become qualified as a personal trainer these days. Like, it's so easy to take a course. Like, how long does it take you to do an online course for a cert three and a cert four? I think I've noticed some people are doing it in, like, 11 or 12 weeks. Yeah, and crazy. On the, so, uh, so, in 12 weeks, you can be completely qualified as a personal trainer from having no pre-existing knowledge at all. And I think we spoke about it on an earlier episode. Like, personal trainers, coaches, from my point of view, are definitely part of healthcare, right? Because we spoke about this... I suppose this hierarchy of healthcare where you've got specialists, doctors, GPs, allied health, and personal trainers generally in that order. In terms of the amount of influence that we can have on our clients, the order's literally flipped because a personal trainer or a coach is gonna get you know potentially quite a number of hours with their clients every single week where they can be educating them and doing good things regarding the health and their fitness. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know is far greater than you know a physio might get half an hour with someone once a week or once a fortnight, or a doctor might get ten minutes with someone once a month, and a specialist might get two minutes with them once every six months. Like personal trainers have so so much so much room to educate people and, and to take you know control of people's health, and to be qualified to have that responsibility in a twelve week course, mate, to me is pretty scary. Um, and I think just the fact that people can be so underqualified and might not have the necessarily knowledge that they need to do an excellent job mm-hmm. um, can mean that you know myths can come about because mm-hmm. they might not have that evidence-based mm-hmm. background to actually educate their clients to the best of their ability. Um, and to me, I think the other big thing, the reason why a lot of myths are out there and probably more so in the other health professional professions, professions nice. as well, <laughs> um, mine, my star, um, is the fact that our industries are heavily monetized, right? And people need to earn a buck. Um, and the vast majority of decisions that can be made by the allied health professionals or fitness professionals can be made with financial motivations. And that's scary. If people are trying to sell a product um, and educate people in the wrong way to sell a product or a service, 
performances and, you know, being slightly, you know, off-centered with the truth or, or creating your own sort of narratives um, to help you do that, that can be pretty scary. And people can have false beliefs because they're trying to buy a product or a service that isn't necessarily science-based or evidence-based, um, and that's where I think myths can start. And, no, that's 100% correct, and I think a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of the goals amongst um, most fitness professionals are, you know, the same we're all looking to improve the health and fitness of our clients whether that be through pardon me uh whether that be through <laughs> manual therapy or uh whether that be through you know uh, adjusting someone's nutrition or you know it doesn't really matter what it is and at the end of the day um where am i going with this <laughs> so, just to let everyone know i burped so i lost my train of thought and then happened disgusting good podcasting um but i um i think that like we're um you know we're all looking to achieve the same goals and it doesn't really matter how um we get to those goals for some client uh, for some coaches and for some um, professionals if there's a buck along the way and they can get someone to that goal um it might not be the best it might not be the you know healthiest way to do that but if it gets them to the goal and it makes them more money i think that's always the uh the approach that a lot of um, uneducated coaches especially will follow um, and it's true as well in, uh, in your field if you've got a you know um, allied health professionals who are able to use products or to use you know different um, I guess different methods that are potentially you know the uh, I'm not going to say the safest but you know, the best um, and they can get paid for it well you know a lot of them will do because yeah. You know, at the end of the day, people have to put food on the table. And it's, you know, much as we don't agree with that, there are, there are a lot of people out there who do do it. Yeah. So, 100%, mate. Now, the first one that I'm going to talk about is um, is something that's, I mean, it's been around for, for decades, for absolutely my lifetime, and it's been evidence in, um, in sports and in gyms all throughout Australia and all throughout the world. And that myth is that stretching prevents injuries. Now, you played a bit of local sport yourself, JY, uh, um, yeah. but historically the use of stretching has been before we go for a run, before we play sport, before we get into the gym, we need to stretch, right? We need to spend five or ten minutes stretching out our muscles to elongate our muscles to stop us getting injured. And I, you know, I still hear it all the time that people come to me with injuries or you know persistent pain issues, and they're like, you know what? And they almost they almost confess to me in their initial conversation, like, you know what? I think a lot of these are my fault because I don't stretch enough. And I know I should stretch more and I know I should stretch more. And they're almost confessing to me about their lack of stretching before I actually give them a diagnosis or go to help them because they, they're almost guilty because they think that stretching is so important and they're doing the wrong thing. Right? When you say stretching, you're talking static stretching? I'm, specifically, we're talking about static stretching, which is, yeah, um, taking a muscle to its end of range and just holding it there. Yeah. So that's what we're generally we're talking traditional. about. Yeah. Your traditional static stretching, right? And... We're here to say today that there is absolutely no evidence for the use of stretching and static stretching, I mean, as an injury prevention tool, right? There's absolutely no evidence. Now, um, a personal anecdote, like, you know, we both played, uh, you know, quite a number of years of footy um, at a local level, mate, myself and you, and, you know, before every single footy game, we stretch, and before, at the end of every single footy game or, or footy training, we get told to stretch, right? And a big thing that I've noticed in the last couple of years is that at the end of a training session before we walk off the ground, the coach says, all right, someone take the stretches. And as a physio, inevitably someone's like, oh, CB, you're a physio, you take the stretches, you show us what we should be doing. And I, my response to them is, if you want me to take the stretches after training, we walk them straight off. <laughs> because not necessarily it's going to do anything bad for you, but it's not going to help, right? It's not going to help. So as far as a cool down, I suppose that's that's a cool yeah. down thing or a recovery yeah. modality. People think they need to stretch after exercise to stop muscle soreness. And I'm here to tell you that there's absolutely no evidence to show that stretching 
deep um, increases muscle soreness or delayed onset muscle soreness DOMS after training, sport, or exercise. Why do we stretch then? If there's no actual you know benefit in regards to injury prevention, then what is the point of stretching? Well, that's the point is that for some reason, however long, however many decades ago, someone thought that it was. Someone thought that stretching can elongate our muscles, stop our muscles becoming tight, and muscles becoming tight mm-hmm. was the reason um, that we would get injured, right? Someone decided this years ago, and I'm not actually sure if there was a preliminary study on this that showed some sort of evidence that it was useful in 1945, mate. I actually don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but for whatever reason, this was the history, and this was just common knowledge and something that was just yeah included in in tradition the tr- way that we traditionally manage our bodies um and it's simply not true now what static stretching does do because it does have a place and it's not all bad is it is useful for increasing flexibility okay and there are certain people that need an increased flexibility and i'm talking ballet dancers pole dancers becoming a lot more um, common nowadays gymnasts gymnastics people that love yoga like all these people their sport or exercise of choice they need more flexibility mm-hmm. so if they're doing static stretching on a regular basis to increase their flexibility to help them get into positions that they need to that to make their sport or exercise of choice easier well cool it's probably going to be beneficial there okay mm-hmm. but there's a few things that we need to realize is that a lot of people will stretch and thinking what they're doing is actually elongating or lengthening their muscles whereas the research shows that when we stretch over a long period of time and it does increase our flexibility and our range of motion, this is actually because our body has an increased tolerance to the stretch rather than any changes to muscle length, right? So our nervous system is literally more tolerant and creating less discomfort in our range um, if we're doing it for a long period of time than it otherwise would be if we're not doing it for a long period of time. So you're not actually physically lengthening your muscles, okay? So that's the first thing. And the second thing is, yes, it might be useful to help you achieve these positions, but there's still no evidence that that's going to help to prevent injuries, mm-hmm. yeah? The other thing I, we should touch on as part of, we sort of touch on for flexibility, we've touched on for cool downs, well, stretching for a warm-up. There are a number of kinds of, of stretching, and dynamic stretching is a kind of stretching where you're gradually increasing the range of motion, I suppose, that you're taking your joints through um, with, I suppose, sport-specific or, um, or movement patterns that are gonna emulate what you're about to do, and that can be quite useful because it can help um, to increase the comfort and the ease that our body naturally goes through a normal range of motion, okay? Um, and we think this is probably helpful um, as a warm-up because it increases blood flow, it increases neural activation, and can improve range of motion in the short term. But static stretching, evidence actually shows that if we're doing this prior to exercise or prior to sport, it can actually temporarily decrease um, the amount of strength and power our muscles can produce in the short term. Okay, and I'm talking for roughly one hour, we can get significant reductions in the amount of strength and power that our muscles can produce. Now, we know, as far as injury prevention goes, muscle strength um, is one of the most important things that we can have, because if we've got really strong, robust, resilient muscles, we're less likely to get injured, okay? If stretching is gonna temporarily decrease that, well, that can actually potentially increase the risk of injury going straight ahead. And so as far as the warm-up goes, dynamic stretching, yes, can be useful, static stretching, absolutely not is not going to help you and can potentially based on that reason increase the risk of injury i guess you know coming from uh, the uh the strength training background like you said if you're decreasing the actual um the actual force output that can be um that's provided by the muscles due to stretching well you know for someone who's uh looking at uh you know um max lifts and trying to um trying to increase loads over time you're actually putting yourself at a disadvantage. That's a really bad way of explaining that, but you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. Um, and I guess the other side of the coin, the important thing is that there, you know, when it comes to um, people who do stretch, sometimes you have a lot of people who come in and they've had a history of stretching before exercise. And it is very hard to sort of convince them otherwise that stretching isn't necessarily the, uh, 
I didn't get that. Could you try again? Yeah, Siri. <laughs> first kiss, I'm sure you first kiss is Siri. Um, so, um, where was that? Yeah, was so that? people people enjoy it. Yeah, yeah so people exactly. are used to doing it. Exactly. So you're not going to, like a lot of these people you can't turn around and say to them, you know, sorry, go cold turkey, don't stretch. Yeah. You, you have to guide them through and understand. And a lot of the time, I find, you've probably found very similar, it's in modifying their warm-up. The whole point of a warm-up before you train, and I'm talking in the gym, um, is to prepare your system for what you're about to um, partake in. And that is pretty much putting uh, your body in the positions that you're about to put under load. Um, it's uh, you know, looking at parasympathetic drive. It's looking at um, you know that slight increase in core temperature. Um, and it's about improving like focus and um, you know the arousal for the uh, upcoming session. So. It's not about increasing flexibility. It's not about trying to, you know, put muscles through their full range of motion to prevent upcoming injury. It's about preparing yourself for the task you're about to perform. Yeah, and I want to clarify as well is that we're not, you know, bagging stretching. You were saying no, it's even. Not at all. I think if we're doing it, if we're static stretching as a warm up prior to exercise, then you're probably better off educating yourself a little bit more and moving away from that. But otherwise, if you do enjoy it, it makes you feel good. Cool, go nuts. It's not dramatically good or bad, and the use of it should largely be based on personal preferences. But if we're using it because we believe it's elongating your muscles or mm. because it's an effective injury prevention tool, well, then that's I suppose the myth we're trying to bust. And from what I guess, what what I gather, it's the chronic stretching that has um, more disadvantages. We're not talking about, um, you know, we're not talking about just yeah, you know, quickly touching your toes and things here. We're talking about chronically stretching, trying to always you know improve your flexibility thinking that it's going to help you long term correct and that and that's it like flexibility is only going to prevent injuries if you need that for a sport such as dancing or gymnastics yeah. the vast majority of us don't need significant amounts of flexibility i'll get people all the time who if they come to me with a back issue or a hamstring issue i'll get them to stand up with their knees straight and bend forward and they always go oh my god i'm really bad at this you know they always feel bad and they're like trying to explain themselves that i've got really bad flexibility and i've never been able to touch my toes and they yeah. think that's horrendous because yeah. people think if they can't touch their toes then their back's going to fall out of their yep. body and they're going to fall apart and break down, <laughs> right? I'll, they might. I'll tell you a secret, mate. I'm a physio. I've been a physio for eight years. I can't touch my toes. I can promise you oh, that has not caused me any injury issues. <laughs> right? Like, it's okay and that's normal um, because the vast majority of us who aren't doing, you know, sports such as we said, I've mentioned again, dancing, gymnastics, you know, there's, there's a few other examples there. We don't need massive amounts of flexibility and having huge amounts of flexibility won't help us prevent injuries. No. Mate, I love it. Great Beautiful. answer. Great answer. Awesome. All right. Okay, well, for us? I'm going to come in here um, with my first myth, and that is uh, that you need cardio for fat loss. So, wait, you're telling us we don't? Mate, I am telling you that you don't. Sure. But I'm also going to go a little bit into depth on uh, on cardio as a topic uh, itself. So, there's a huge, uh, you know, there's a huge uh, myth out there that you do need to perform some form of cardio. Um, to in fact uh, um, lose fat and obviously you know when you have um, people who are quite new to training quite new to um, you know getting in the gym they often um, have a pre uh, preconception that they have to perform some form of cardio and that cardio is going to be um, a primary driver for fat loss um, and the important thing to understand is that cardio Burns calories. Okay, and as we've spoken about a couple of times in this show, um, the most important thing for fat loss is a calorie deficit, which is just you know burning more calories than you're consuming. 
or consuming less calories than you're actually burning. So when you perform cardio, you're burning calories, but if your diet's out of whack and you're consuming too many calories, it doesn't matter how much cardio you do, you're not going to lose fat. So we've kind of put the cart before the horse over the years as an industry where rather than focusing on nutrition, and a lot of that is due to a lack of education, um, which I honestly believe is slowly starting to turn, but is still pretty poor um, overall. Uh, but we've, we've sort of formed the idea that instead of adjusting someone's diet, or I don't want to say diet or nutrition per se, but their eating habits, we start to slam them with heaps of cardio. And a lot of coaches out there as well, they'll prescribe some macros, they'll get people onto, you know, a sort of a consistent eating plan and then when things sort of stall instead of looking at the bigger picture you know looking at other variables out there lifestyle factors are they actually sticking to the diet um sorry i hate using that word but are they actually sticking to their nutrition um they'll start just throwing more cardio they're like okay you're not losing fat cardio cardio burn more calories burn more calories burn more calories um and i guess i'm here to say that cardio is not needed for fat loss okay because the diet is the most important thing. The actual equation of calories coming in and out is, you know, that's the overall fact. That's the overriding factor of whether you're going to lose fat or not. And I guess, you know, someone like yourself, mate, you um, you go for a run, okay? Um, you play sport or normally would play sport and um, you also watch what you eat, obviously. Um, give or take, obviously, is coaching you um, for the last few years. We are with your different goals. How much cardio have I actually prescribed for you other than cardio that you enjoy doing, such as a run, such as playing sport? What what has been the focus point for us? You've prescribed me when you've coached me, JY, zero. Yeah. And zero. are you uh, over that time in which um, we were focusing on fat loss and, um, you know, different sort of, um, I guess, or creating calorie deficits, what was our main focus? Well, it's always your diet. And I think that's that's going to be the key, mate, for a lot of people to realise is that exercise is so important and we're both big advocates of exercise. But like you said, calorie deficit is the king. And obviously we touched on this in a little bit more depth in our nutrition episode. So I encourage you to go back and listen to that if you haven't. But essentially, if we're in a calorie deficit, if we're eating less calories than our body is burning off every single day, we can be doing zero exercise, like literally zero exercise and lose weight. And it might not be best for, you know, ideal for body composition or, you know, aerobic health and fitness because exercise is fantastic for these types of things. But you can do zero exercise and lose weight and vice versa. You can be doing two hours of cardio seven days a week. But if you're eating enough calories to make up for that, you can be at a caloric surplus and you can potentially put on weight. So essentially, it's a means to an end and it's going to help you, but it's not the deal. And look, there's two factors to it as well. So I... After all saying that, have actually kind of turned the wheel myself recently. Um, I prescribe a lot more cardio now with clients than I have in the past because I believe as a coach um, or any sort of health professional, we should look to improve our services over time and we should look to understand more about things we previously did. One big thing for me was I got quite lucky early that I understood I, I basically understood calories and thermodynamics and, you know, all these uh, all these cool factors in regards to, you know, fat loss through nutrition. Um, you know, obviously with a lot of my work with JPS and Jacob Skepis and 
um, the boys over there, I had a pretty good apprenticeship. But one thing we really didn't focus on was cardio at all. We, we just didn't do cardio because we focused on the diet. Mm. Now I prescribe cardio to most of my clients due to the fact that cardio is great to improve your mood. Mm-hmm. You know, cardiovascular health is crucial as well long term. Um, and there's nothing like, so long as you're not pounding the pavement, you know, nonstop all day, every day, and expecting to be able to, you know, um, squat pretty uh, happily, your cardio is not going to impact your training too much long term yeah. in, in small doses. The net benefit you're going to get from cardio is a lot more. And also, cardio is actually a pretty social thing. Um, at the moment, we're pretty much, you know, unable to train with people who don't live in our immediate household. We still can kind of get out and go for a run with someone or, you know, I guess during stage three, we were able to go out to the park and do, you know, a little bit of something with people. Cardio is a very social thing. It, everyone can do it. You know, not everyone can, you know, get in the gym and squat, but everybody can in some form get their heart rate up. It is almost the lowest hanging fruit. It's the easiest thing that we can all approach in regards to training. And I think, like you said, with stretching, because a lot of people historically have done stretching, they enjoy it. Same with cardio. Yeah. If people love running or love getting on a bike or a rah, also, fucking go for it. It comes down to personal not? preference. And what we want to, I suppose, the point of this, busting this myth is that you don't need it no. for fat loss. No. What you need is a caloric deficit. If you enjoy it, go nuts. If you don't enjoy it, well, then... You don't have Focus to. on things that you enjoy more than that, and you're going to be able to stick to it more. Because if you yeah. want to stick to anything long term, you've got to enjoy it. If you're not enjoying it, well, mate, what's the point? Exactly right. And in regards to like, you know, in regards to that personal preference, I think there's a lot of people out there who, you know, they actually would enjoy cardio if they just gave it a shot. And I think there's a lot of people who sort of are now kind of of that, you know, that thinking where it's like, it's like team no cardio. Mm. And I think, um, this is me personally speaking. I find that team no cardio thing very like narrow-minded, very short-sighted. I think a lot of people who are part of that, it's kind of a bit of a, you know, look how, look how great we are, no cardio, never have to prescribe cardio. And I think that that's, um, it's, it's one of those things where the net benefit you're going to get from some form of small cardio, like I'm talking 15 minutes twice a week of skipping or, you know, walking, get, like getting your steps up, you like, you know, even though that's not necessarily formal cardio, it's these these factors that we can focus on. They are going to help us in regards to fat loss, but you don't need them. I just think that a lot of people also, because you don't need it, then go on the other side <laughs> of the equation where they're going, well, you don't need it, so no cardio for me and no cardio for any of my clients. Look at the other things that you can get out of cardio. Yeah. So anyway, we've covered a little bit in regards to <laughs> in regards to cardio as a whole, but everyone out there who's uh you know who's pounding as much as they can because they think it's going to help them with uh their weight loss well you know we're here to say that you don't need it yeah. it's a uh it's a tool in your toolkit absolutely crisp so myth number two please mate yeah myth number two from me now this is this is a big one it's something, oh. something i'm pretty passionate about oh no guys i just have to warn you this is we're going down some rabbit holes. Now, I could be like Billy Brown that's on Triple M's The Rush Hour and oh, coming off the bottom and absolutely bake this one, but I'm going to try to just calm down I'm, a little bit. I'm actually going to, yeah, I'm going to, I can sit back just a little bit. It's a bit so, nervous here. So, to, uh, to let you guys know, this myth is um, manipulation. And when I say manipulation, I mean spinal manipulation, i.e. having your back cracked, realigns your spine. Now, this is something that I hear every single day when clients come to see me, that they've been to another health professional, whoever that may be, and they've had their back cracked and spine manipulated um, because their spine was out of alignment and it realigns their spine. 
Okay, now as much as I see it, there's actually research to say that around three quarters of the population um, believe that that cracking sound when you back cracked is due to a mechanical realignment or some sort of bony movement between your vertebrae. So three quarter of our three quarters of us think that if we're having your back cracked, it's literally changing the structure of our spine. Okay, now I'm here to say today this is simply untrue. Um, and not only is it untrue, but it can actually lead to really, really harmful beliefs such as our spines are fragile or out of position when they're absolutely not, okay? Our spines are strong, resilient, robust, robust structures that have been made to move and we should be trusting them and using them to our full capacity, not worried about them being out of position because to say that your back is out or your spine's out of alignment, like or your pelvis is out or your hips are out, mate, unless you've had a horrible car accident, you can see your bones sticking out of your body or you can hold your hip or your pelvis or your spine in your hand, Nothing's out of place, okay? Now, I want to go into this a little bit more, so I've got a bit more of another Please, thing. Chris, please do. So, spinal manipulation. So, when you get your back cracked, essentially, what this is, it's a high-velocity, low-amplitude force or thrust that's applied by a health professional um, that produces a very small amount of joint surface separation, which may or may not, and most of the time, we associate this with a cracking sound, okay? Now, that crack is what we call a cavitation. Um, and a cavitation happens when a joint space is open temporarily and the synovial fluid, which is essentially the lubricant in our joints all throughout our body and in our spine, releases a small gas bubble. And that gas bubble, when it's released, causes that cracking or popping sound. Okay, and it's similar to when you release gas when you pop a champagne bottle, for example. Now, I'm not here to say this is bad because what this does is this temporarily increases range of motion. Okay, this release, releases pain relieving endorphins and makes us feel better. Um, in the short term, okay, decreases stiffness and decreases muscle tightness and increases range of motion and makes people feel better, okay? But it does that because it has an impact on your nervous system because that gas bubble creating that crack sound causes these pain relieving endorphins to be released in our body, okay? And it doesn't do that because we're putting anything back into place because we're realigning our spines or anything like that, okay? Now, if people like having their back cracks, I'm all for that, okay? And a lot of people say that this sort of stuff is dangerous, and you know what, there is a very small risk of having a severe injury when you get your back cracked or your neck cracked, for example, but in the literature, mate, the risk of that is somewhere between, in reported, in different studies, somewhere between one in 50,000 to one in five million for an actual serious injury to occur having your back cracked. So it's very, very unlikely. So most of the time, these techniques are completely safe to do, okay? Um, are we and- talking like, back crack by a professional or are we talking like a couple of beers and the mate said hey I'm a Cairo I can crack <laughs> well we're mostly talking about professionals here okay. um, but still it is probably pretty safe for the vast majority of people even after a few like years just just you know the risk of actually hurting yourself really bad is very very low Okay, so I will say that. The other big, I suppose, myth around this is that it can cause arthritis, and probably the biggest one is cracking your knuckles, man. And I crack my knuckles all the time because it feels good. I've just done it now. And people thought this caused arthritis, and you hear your grandma saying, oh, don't crack your knuckles, that's horrible, you'll cause arthritis. Don't crack your back, you'll get arthritis. So many studies have been have been released that have shown that that's simply not the case. So it's unlikely to cause you any harm. But the issue that I have is when a health professional, okay, and this can be any other health professional, mate. This can be a physio, uh, osteo, a chiro, a myotherapist, it can be a Thai massage lady down the road, it can be your mate after he's had a few frothies on a session, mate. It can be anyone um, who's cracking the back and telling you that they're realigning your spine and putting it back into place. That's simply untrue, okay? And the reason why um, I'm so passionate about this is because if you're told to believe that and you go to a health professional and get your back cracked and you walk away feeling a hell of a lot better, which you can and you often will, 
what if you've got the wrong narrative in your brain, what happens is a week later or two weeks later or a month later, when your back starts to get a bit sore and again a bit stiff again, okay, which inevitably will because 80% of us get a sore back throughout our lifetimes and most of the time it's recurring, right? So next time that you feel like you're sore, we create this narrative in the head that my back pain is due to because, oh my God, my hips must be out of place or my pelvis must be out of whack or my spine must be out of alignment and I need to go and get myself realigned. Okay, what that creates is this subconscious fear in ourselves, and we touched on the role that our nervous system plays in producing pain in, in our training with injuries episode. Um, so you can go and have a listen to that. I strongly encourage you if you haven't done so already. But essentially, any pain, discomfort, tightness, stiffness that we feel in our bodies is a production of our nervous system when it thinks that we're threatened by something or it wants to protect us. Okay, often that threat can be produced in the head when we think, "Oh, I feel a bit out of whack. I think that something's not perfectly in alignment. I think I put my back on my hips out because you've been told this by help." professional four weeks earlier and you felt better after they put things back into place quote unquote okay now this is scary because if we've got this belief in our head our nervous system is going to be constantly sensitized and this can literally lead to chronic and persistent issues okay and the scary part of this is that health professionals want you to believe that and they want you to believe that because if you believe that and you feel better after getting your back cracked and you're going to go back every week every fortnight every month for the rest of your life to have your spine manipulated what, what's that going to do to your going to line the pockets of these health professionals and i guess that's another such an important thing to remember as a um as two uh two guys in the industry is that what we say and um what we i guess uh recommend for our clients where we hold a position of power and our words and what we sort of um you know what we sort of can prescribe it's by saying you know that cracks are good and you're going to feel better after crack and you know the more cracks you have you know the better the better and better your results are going to be when you've got that qualification or when you've got that position of power clients are going to listen to you and that's the same as like what i'm saying is you know you need cardio for fat loss if you're telling clients as a pt or as a coach that they need to be doing cardio well they're going to listen to you and well most of the time um and at the end of the day, if you say to someone, well, the best results are going to be from doing five sessions with me a week, you know, of course, like, we all know that that's not necessarily the case, but we hold that position of power where they'll listen to us. And I want to be really clear as well, manual therapy in general, which is any hands-on treatment, so mm-hmm. this is manipulation, yeah. whacking your back, massage, needling, cupping, whatever, any sort of hands-on treatment, it does make people feel better, okay? And I'm not bagging it, mate, because I literally do this every day. I'm a manual therapist, and every day I come to work and I provide manual therapy to people, which does make them feel a bit better for a short period of time. Yeah. But the most important thing is when clinicians provide manual therapy to people, they need to educate them correctly on how and why that's working. Okay, and I've got no problem with manual therapy being provided as long as people absolutely realize it is working in this way and it's not working in another way. Okay, and what it's doing is it's making, it's having a novel stimulus to your nervous system which makes, um, you know, joints open up in terms of range of motion temporarily. It makes muscles feel like they're looser temporarily and it decreases pain temporarily because it has an impact on your nervous system, not because it's changing the structure of any bone, any muscle, any tissue or our spines. Okay, and that is the most important thing. Okay, now, Someone who believes the other way around that it is making these structural changes are more likely to go back to a manual therapist, which means more dollars for a therapist. Now, um, the harsh reality is, as you said, mate, we need to put food on our tables, okay? We all need to be make money in our careers, okay? Um, and in the healthcare you know, business, like I'm a small business owner, people think, you know, oh, I suppose business strategies and marketing, all this sort of stuff when it comes to healthcare is almost evil and dirty, but we need to be business savvy. We need clients to come through the door and want to come back to us in order to, 
um, you know, make a living and put food on the table, literally, okay? But we need to do this in ways that are ethical, okay? And we talk about, in my industry, getting lifelong clients. Yep. And you can get lifelong clients in two ways. You can get lifelong clients who think that their spine is out of place every two weeks and they need you to crack it for them every two weeks for the rest of their life and they're going to continue to come back and line your pockets, um, which, in my point of view, is highly unethical. Or you can have lifelong clients where you do provide a bit of manual therapy in the short term, you explain to them why this is working, you educate them onto the other contributing factors that are causing their aches and pains, you provide you know, an active approach to rehabilitation in terms of exercise prescription and advice that's going to complement the manual therapy, and then they can take control of their health in their own hands and they can manage their issues, okay? And they can turn into a lifelong client, not because they're going to need to come back to you every one week or two week or one month because they rely on having their back cracked because that simply is unnecessary necessary for the vast majority of the population okay but they're going to be a lifelong client because they're going to trust you they're going to get better and they might not need you for three months or six months or one year or five years but next time they need you they're going to come back to you and next time their partner or their boss or their kid or their mate needs someone they're Mm -hmm. going to refer to you and they're the sort of lifelong clients that people that you know need to be worried about money or putting food on the table or being successful operating a healthcare business should be aiming for, not the lifelong clients that need to be popped or cracked or manipulated once a week or once a fortnight for the rest of their life. Because I, yeah. I agree completely. I guess that's like not to uh, blow smoke up your ass a little bit, aside from the fact that you're an immensely handsome man and I love seeing your face every uh, time I come in. But um, I knew that was, uh, was the case with you from the very start, the first time I ever walked into your clinic. And I think um, when... Uh, you know, when you look at it in the long term, I don't see you every week. I only, you know, well, sorry, I don't see you for any sort of therapy every single week or every single month. I see you when I need to see you, and that's been the case for almost six years now. Mm. So if I have an issue, I'll come to you, mm. and if anyone I know has an issue, I'll always refer them straight to you because I understand that you're one of the best at educating and. Um, helping people understand um, what's happening rather than just cracking their back or doing, you know, some thought, some form of manual therapy. I think it's very similar with what I look for in my clients. And again, I, you know, when I have someone who begins training with me, they'll often say, okay, so let's organize four or five sessions a week. The first thing I'll always say is, no, like, two's fine. I want to teach you, you know, about the, you know, the other five days of the week where you're not seeing me so that you know, you're know you not spending a whole heap of money because long-term, those clients are gonna um, respect that a lot and they're gonna understand that that means, and they're gonna, like this is me putting my business out on here, but they're gonna, you know, they're gonna understand that you're not just in it for the money, that you actually give a fuck about them. And you know, I, I think a lot of my clients have come from referrals. I, I, like, I find like I'll train a member of a family and then suddenly I'm training five other members of that, you know, an immediate family. And, you know, you'd be the sim- you'd be similar with yours. I think you know, it's not karma, but I think like you get caught out pretty quick when you know you're recommending you know bulk sessions and you know um, all this stuff to you know make a quick buck off someone. And you know, it, it's important to understand that you know if you can teach these people um, and you can give them the confidence to you know leave the clinic or leave the gym. Um, and feel like they're in control of their destiny, um, you're more likely to have them, you know, come back to you and back to you and help you out long-term because of the respect that you've given them rather than just seeing them as dollars. Spot on. And that's something that I think I want to touch on a little bit before, but 
having an internal locus of control versus an external locus of control is very important. And what I mean by that is people with an external locus of control rely on coming to see a PT to yell at them and make them sweat to move. Yeah. Or rely on coming to see a physio, an osteo, a chiro, a massage therapist, a myotherapist, whatever, to have manual therapy to make them feel better. Whereas if, and, and that reliance is always going to be there in the long term. Yeah. Okay. Whereas if you're a proper, I suppose, ethical evidence-based practitioner in either of our fields, what we want to be doing is fostering people to have an internal locus of control where we're empowering them with the knowledge and the education to manage their own health. And, you know, as a coach or as a physio or whatever it may be, we're here as consultants to help them along the way, but they can go away and manage that. And that's where, you know, as I said, you know, manual therapy and manipulation is not a bad thing. However, it needs to be provided with the appropriate education and active rehabilitation methods as well. So people can go away and look after their own health and take that control to towards themselves rather than relying on someone. And I mean, I hear a lot of personal trainers say that their goal is to be um, redundant, redundant, essentially, you know. And that might sound like a horrible business model, but if your goal is to be redundant and to give people <laughs> you know control... You it is. <laughs> like, but it's not. Business it's model. not because if you give people that control, well. they trust you more than anyone. And that's where your word of mouth referrals are going to come from. 100%. And I think that's why, you know, a lot of people look at, uh, look at um, you know, coaches in you know, in our sort of circles and they're not necessarily the flashiest or the most, you know, um, you know, the most recognized and well-known coaches just due to the fact that their goal isn't to, you know, isn't to be the wealthiest and the, you know, the, the, the biggest coach out there. It's literally to help people. It, it's actually, you know, show that they give a shit about people. And I think, you know, it's like I said with you, I knew that from the moment I walked into your clinic and I think, you know, you've got a lifelong client with me um, and obviously we've developed horrendous friendships through it. Um, uh, but, you know, we, we both prefer, I was, you know, uh, I was getting referrals from you at one stage, not just because I was your mate, but, you know, because you had faith in what I was doing. You get, you know, I'd send my mum to you, for example, and, you know, my mum's probably one of the, you know, when it comes to your mother, you're not just going to send, you know, them to any old person. I'll always go to the person who I have the most faith in. Yeah. Um, and like I said, it's not karma. It's just, you know, it's uh, it's actually giving a shit that the, you will be looked out for uh, by the people who you give a shit about. For sure. I love um, that um, before this show, we thought we were going to belt this out in less than half an hour. What, we're, what are we're we up to? We're up to 42 minutes. We're both yeah. very passionate people and clearly we uh, we did some nerves. But yeah. I, I love it, mate. I absolutely love these conversations. Um, did you have one more myth for us? Look, or I'll go to the kill now. Oh, mate. I'll give you the last myth. I'll keep it real quick. Yeah. Um, I um my myth can't even yeah I'm not even gonna hold up to it. We start what we start with manipulation realigns your spine. We went down. Jesus Christ! I said we go down some rabbit holes, but even I didn't know that we were gonna we were gonna get that. I love it, mate. Um, all right. So my um my final myth is that um is that the uh, the cats are no good in September. No, I'm joking. The uh, my final myth is that carbs make you fat. I'm gonna conjoin that there with uh you shouldn't eat after dark for fat loss. Okay, and the reason. I bring these two in together is because these are the two that I get asked about the most. You know what? Even if I don't get asked by them, again, I'm going to look at uh, new clients. And I like to always sort of refer back to new clients who come to me due to the fact that they're generally the ones who know the least um, and assume the most. So a lot of people out there will come to me and without even me, if I don't put my, you know, 
my education hat on and actually, you know, chat to them and find out what their, uh, what their knowledge is in regards to nutrition. A lot of them just assume that you shouldn't eat carbs if you want to lose weight and that if you're eating after dark or you're also, you know, you're not then going to lose weight. And obviously most of the clients that come to me are fat loss clients. That's, mm-hmm. that's general. So we've spoken about this a hundred times. This is why this would be real quick. Chris, what is it that makes us fat? Or what is it that <laughs> makes us put on weight? Being in a calorie surplus. Yes. Eating more calories than we're consuming. Bingo. So sorry, eating more calories than we're burning off. Oh, just, oh, just <laughs> oh, eating more Jesus than we're consuming. Right, and I agree with you. <laughs> um, yeah. So literally, if we look at um, if we look at the actual calorie equation of calories coming in and calories coming out, we now know, and I hope the listeners after listening to this a few times now understand um, that if you're consuming too many calories, more so than you're burning, well, you're going to gain weight. Doesn't matter whether it's carbs, doesn't matter whether it's fat, doesn't matter whether it's protein, doesn't matter whether it's broccoli or if it's, uh, you know, Diet Coke, like 0.3 calories of a can of Diet Coke. You, you need a lot of that. 3,000 of those. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's not the specifics that make you gain weight. So it's not the carbs. And we said this last week as well. There are no best foods for fat loss. It all comes down to, you know, actually, sorry, not last week. We said it three days ago because you deleted the episode. Um, I just down the because, like, seriously, mate, it, uh, it killed me. Um, <laughs> but it's not the carbs that make me fat. And I'm not going to go too into detail because I want to go up to, like, 48 minutes now. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we know by now that carbs have so many benefits in regards to, you know, um, not only your actual performance in the gym, um, but carbs are, the, are generally the most palatable foods. Mm. Carbs are fucking awesome. Like to name me someone who, if you say, hey, you know, uh, you can eat whatever you want. You eat one meal or one, you know, snack or food for the day and it can just be whatever you want. Name me one person who's not going to go, oh yeah, and pick a predominantly carb-based meal. Mate, I literally had pasta bake for breakfast this morning. Oh, mate, and like that, it's like I laugh about it, but like just right and cereal is my like my go-to. Like if I'm if I'm just like fuck it, I'm gonna have something because I'm I I I want to. It is always for me. It's always cereal. I just love cereal. And if cereal and eating carbs for you and pasta bake or whatever it is improves your mood to the point where then you find it easier to be able to stick to a nutritional plan, um, you're able to feel like you know. That, that first meal of the day, if it is a carb-based meal, you know, something to look forward to after, you know, you've done cardio or you've trained or you've gone for a walk or you've worked or whatever the fuck you've done, um, you know, long-term, that's actually going to be brilliant for fat loss. Yeah. You know, it's, the carbs aren't going to make you fat. Overeating the carbs is, is what's going to make you fat, which is why, you know, we encourage people not to track calories because, you know, you should be sitting on, a, on your phone all day doing numbers, it's to understand what's in the food so that you can prevent yourself from falling down the trap of blaming the carbs for your fat loss, for your weight gain or for your lack of fat loss. So well, I, re- I reckon this is my favourite episode so far, mate, because I love the passion. I love that we're both just coming from I the have, and honestly, I really want to bust these myths because we've got to put these on YouTube because like, I'm throwing my arms out everywhere. I, 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 I think I I just, you can see him. I'm, there's big circles. I'm winding up. Mate, Tom Hawkins with a footy throwing it all over the place. Mate, I think I messaged you during the week in saying that we should do an episode on things we should learn in high school. I think like, Let's do yeah, it. Something like what, uh, what we should have learned in high school because, you know what, man, like I... Like I said, these are the questions that I get asked the most. And it's like, <laughs> I'm not even talking in a scientific fact or in, in sort of the scientific factor here in regards to why carbs don't make you fat. It's like, 
it's it's so simple. It's more the it's the misconception. It's the education. It's the fact that there are a lot of coaches out there who like. I'll be honest, a lot of them know that carbs don't make you fat. But it's easier to sell that narrative to a client and be like, yeah, don't eat carbs, you'll lose weight. Hmm. Bang, do it. And, and then they lose weight they because lose they're on they a calorie deficit. And they think it's because the carbs are everything. And the coach knows that. Like yeah. at the end of the day, the coach knows that. Hmm. And it's the same thing as when I have a client who's going through a fat loss phase, if you do cut carbs, once they stop losing weight, well, you know, we increase the deficit, they're going to lose more weight, you know, whatever. It's un- the, the, the client or the trainee needs to understand that. They need to know that the carbs are the calories that are, you know, I guess, um, manipulating their weight. It's not the carbs themselves, just like it's not pro the broccoli, the fat, the diet coke, whatever it is. It's, you know, again, like, I, I don't want to end it there because I'm getting real, like, heated. And I'm actually, <laughs> I reckon I'm... My, oh, my, As I said, my mate, head's real hot now. I love the passion and I love I love having these conversations, but it's scary that we have to have them. Yep. Um, but anyway, we will leave it there. We've got two yep. quick questions off the Q&A. Now, as you all know by now, our loyal listeners, the Q&A is a weekly segment. Please head to join the fat underscore podcast on Instagram to get involved. We've got two quick ones to end today. And please do message us uh, like any time as well. Apart yep. from when we put up Q&A shit, like if you've got questions, message us. I, I had a great question uh, from Trimble's about spaceship. I mentioned it a few weeks ago. Um, you know, Trimble's just want to give you shout outs because that was a, yeah, I didn't expect that in my inbox. Uh, and for all the people out there, download spaceship, you won't regret it. Vince Trimble's a, a good mate of mine. He's lucky enough to be playing at a footy final in Adelaide today. Oh, oh, I'm so jealous of that. Good on him. So jealous good on of him. that. Good on uh, him. Anyway, question from Willow. Now, JY, is it actually better to walk around and put your hands above your head when you gas from the big run? Or can you lie on the ground, doubled up, and suck in some big ones like we all want to? Yeah, I love it. Uh, so Will O'Brien, um, another one of my boys. Um, yeah, that's a great question. So when we play sport or, you know, often, uh, um, I guess, do any sort of cardio, we're, we're almost like taught to put our hands above our head and stay upright to get as much air as we can. And, you know, they their sort of reasoning behind that is, I'm actually going to stand up because I actually like kind of like doing this um people can't see you i know they can't but it helps me explain when i do it myself chris so when your hands are on your head people um are led to believe that you're then able to um pull in more oxygen so you're able to expand you know lungs and getting more breaths and you know sucking those big ones as will might say but in reality the best way to get more air in after you've performed cardio or after some form of um you know effort is hands on the knees Taking in big, deep belly breaths and expanding through your rib cage. So, in the. Uh, I love that I'm looking at you standing up with your hands on your knees, hunched over. I threw my Zoom screen right now, but the, the listeners actually can't see that. Oh, it's easy to explain it, though. I've told you. I'm, I'm, I'm fucking fired up after our chats today. So, I've got to, I've got to let out some energy. Hands on the knees. Why hands is better? Why is so, better? Front of your uh, front of your rib cage, so diaphragm area, you've got what's called the uh, zone of apposition, so your ZOA. Um, when your hands are on your knees and you're doubled over, it's a lot easier to expand through here. So think of it like a um, if you think of your rib cage. Well, sorry, good email. Um, <laughs> think of your rib cage as it expands. There, you're allowing more air in. Okay, the more air that can come in, the more uh, you know the deeper the breath well, the quicker you're going to recover. You're going to return your heart rate to normal. Um, you're going to re, you know, regain that uh, parasympathetic um, drive or nervous sort of drive. 
whatever the word is. Um, when your hands are above your head, you're actually expanding, you're closing off that ZOA, okay? And therefore you're gonna be getting less oxygen in, okay? So if you're getting more oxygen in with your hands and your hips and you're recovering quicker, what's gonna happen, Chris, if your hands are on your head, you're pulling in less breath, well, you're not going to get as much benefits in terms of recovery. Exactly. You can't get right. into your lungs. Exactly right. You're going to be slower. You're not going to. Uh, yeah, you're not going to recover as quick. And it's a big misconception because in footy we're taught uh, hands on your head, on your head, don't look weak. Don't look weak. Hands on your hips. Psychological benefits rather than physiological yeah. benefits. I think we said hands on your hips. It's hands on your knees, sorry. Hands on your knees taking in those big ones. So we all like to lie on the ground. Yeah. Don't, maybe don't lie on the ground. Yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 love, I love that enthusiasm. I've seen you doing that 100 billion times at Bayside Athletic on Saturday morning uh, in stage three. But um, hands on your knees. And I'll always, uh, I'll always be very vehement uh, on that with my, um, uh, one of my athletes. So Awesome. All right, Chris. You're going to finish this off. Sean Patelli has asked, what about that myth? Uh, what about the myth that joking around at halftime when you're 10 goals down is acceptable? Um, I love this question. Um, Porter's, I know very well, is a, is a diehard Essendon Bombers fan. Um, and I had the pleasure of, uh, of watching the Cats absolutely smash the Bombers on, on Father's Day last week. Um, and what he's referring to here is... The Bombers were down by, I don't know if you're watching the game, Joe, by 10 or 12 goals, and oh, they played yeah. some absolutely horrendous football. Um, and as much as you know, I enjoyed the Cats having a big win, mate, it was actually pretty hard to watch the Bombers. They didn't look like they were in a good place. They came out at half-time, and I think it was young Irving Mosquito who mate, he went down with a horrific ACR in the second half, and I definitely feel for him, but I think he told a joke to the playing group, and there was uh, this sort of social media trending vision of the players laughing like they're 10, 10 12 goals down getting absolutely smashed they're playing some horrendous footy and they're all laughing and to me i think that was just a horrendous look now i'm not a bomber supporter um i quite enjoy beating the bombers as i've said two or three times now but mate to me that was doesn't enjoy beating the bombers to me that was absolutely cringeworthy and if i'm a, a you know a passionate supporter and that was my team if that was Geelong and i'm a passionate supporter and i'm a paying member and we we're getting smashed at half time and we we're joking around Mate, it's, it's a horrible look, and I think that's absolutely unacceptable in professional sport um, when you, you're trying to stand for something. You're trying to stand for an image as, a, as an individual. You're trying to stand for an image and play for a jumper. I think it's absolutely horrendous. Um, and, yeah, if people think that's acceptable, look, and there is a time and a place for a joke, and people say, you know, these, these guys, they're not robots. They are humans, and I completely agree. There's plenty of time during the week to having a joke and a laugh and to be bonding with your teammates, and all those things psychologically is super, super important. Um, but... To be doing that when you tingle with the end, mate. To me, that let is me, not acceptable. Let me play Dell's advocate here for the last minute or two. Um, but they're at their lowest ebb. So those players keep, like, honestly can't sink any lower. Um, at what point do we sort of look at it and go, okay, what's the point of sinking the boot in anymore? They know their shit. They know they're playing shit. They're 10 goals down. Like, they're not going to look at the scoreboard and go, oh, like, okay, things are going all right here. They're, they're in a pretty bad place. What? In regards to, I guess, motivation and, you know, their upcoming second half, their ability to perform in that second half. <laughs> How does that, whether they laugh or not, if that is something that brings them back to, you know, I guess back as a, as a cohort, as a group, allowing them to then, I guess, you know... Fuck, I've completely fucked this question. Mate, I know like, what you're saying. If you you're saying, saying if, if they, they get benefits from that and they play better, well then great. Whether it's a look or not, but, like, do you really think that we need to sink the boot into them that hard? I um, do, personally. Yeah. And that's 
Only my opinion. So do I. Okay, I'll just be able to keep that. That's only my opinion. And I think Porters, who's asked this question, who's a diehard Bombers man, would agree with me um, by the way he's he's worded that question. But, mate, they're representing, it's not only their 22 blokes, if they need a laugh and, you know, to be lifting their spirits, to bring themselves back into the game or or change their performance or their mindset, cool. Do it behind closed doors. Do it in the rooms. When you come out into the ground, you're representing the jumper. You're representing the 22 players on the field. You're representing the 22 players who aren't getting a game. But more importantly, what's Essen got? 70,000 members? They're representing them who are sitting at home. They can't go and watch a game because it's up on wherever it was in, in Queensland at the moment with this global pandemic. You're representing them Show a bit more ticket than that. I Do that stuff behind closed doors. And it's just a horrible look. I just wanted to ask the question. And I hate players after the game, after you lose, who are fucking around and oh, you know, having a laugh with the opposition. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm the same and I've seen it I've seen it happen with a lot of uh, a lot of clubs over the years and I always look at them and I'm like, Yeah, we don't want them to be robots, but God, like hurt a little bit you yeah. just feel like the players that aren't hurting like because the fans are hurting you want to see the players who are representing your jump up hurting just as much absolutely as and I don't want something to burst into tears and like you know show that you're distraught but like God, to have a laugh after is a bit of a uh, it's a bit of an insult as a supporter of yeah. a club to you know see the players you know not necessarily uh, I guess taking it that seriously anyway God, all right, so we've got through it. We are, all we have to finish off with is the quote of the week and the joke of the week. So this will probably take us 40 minutes. Um, <laughs> 45, baby. Thing. They sound long, yeah. <laughs> Um Chris, you have five seconds, quote of the week. Quote of the week, mate, is a quote from Dalai Lama. Now, this quote goes like this. Be kind whenever possible. It is always possible. And I actually planned about a 15-minute spiel on this quote to explain why this is so important at the moment. But seriously, there's so much shit going on in the world. People have bad days. People are in bad moods. People are struggling financially. People's health are struggling. Like, it's so easy just to, you know, give someone a compliment. I'll hold a door open for them. Buy them a coffee if they're one of those people that drinks coffee. Be kind wherever possible because it is literally always possible to be kind. Um, And those small acts of kindness, mate, can go a long way to lift them up someone who's having a crappy day. And there's plenty of people having crappy days at the moment. That's, um... That's one really smart alpaca. <laughs> yeah, okay, Dalai Lama, got it. Yeah. Do you like that? Took me a minute. That was good. Was that um, a joke? Or no, no. God, I'm, I'm two for one today, oh, man. Try to get the Take us out, mate. All right, let's keep it real quick. Uh, what do sprinters eat before a race? <laughs> what do they eat, JY? Nothing. They fast. Oh, because they're fast? You got it. Oh. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Chewing the Fat. Please like, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify if you have not done so already. And please give us a follow on Instagram at chewingthefat underscore podcast and get involved in our weekly Q&A.